Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here at New Dimensions, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. We thank you so much for coming to our online worship experience. And we just want to start this with a time of prayer. We want you to set the atmosphere wherever you are. So right now, wherever you are, I want you to lift up your hands, begin to open up your mouth and cry out to God. Begin to set the atmosphere and the environment wherever you are. Come on, lift it up to him right now. Lift up praise and adoration to him. Lift up worship to him right now. Remind him of how good he is. Remind him of how awesome he is. Come on, lift it up in the house. Lift it up wherever you are right now. Father God, we we call down your presence. We acknowledge your presence that is with us at all times. You said that you are omnipresent. You are with us when we're high. You're with us when we're low. You're with us when we're prospering. You're with us when we're suffering. God, you are with us at all times. God, we thank you that even though whatever is happening in the world may shake us, it may disturb us, it may concern us, it may worry us, the foundation of our God remains sure. Your throne is set in heaven. Nobody can uproot you. Nobody can get rid of you. Nobody can vote you out. Nobody can put you aside. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. God, your name is worthy to be praised. We lift you up. We magnify you. We adore you. We bask in your glory. We bask in the radiance of your presence. And God, right now, I pray that you would go through these, these televisions, that you would go through these smartphones, that you would go through social media, that you would touch hearts, that you would convict and challenge us, God, that you would open up the, the dark, deep places in our souls and in our minds, God. May we receive healing right now, healing in our bodies, healing in our minds, healing in our spirits, God. I pray for families. I pray for leaders of households. I pray for leaders of businesses. I pray for educators. I pray for healthcare workers and professionals, God. I pray that you would set up a hedge of protection around everyone who is on the front lines, God, that no hurt, harm, or danger would befall them, God. I pray that you would give wisdom to those who are discovering treatments and vaccines, God. I pray that you would give wisdom to those who are in governmental high places, God. I pray, God, that through all of this, that your name would be lifted up, that your name would be glorified, God. Even as we come here to worship you, I pray, God, that we wouldn't take this lightly or as business as usual. Just because we're in our living room does not mean you can't reach in and grab us and shake us and change us and uproot us from our wicked ways. So God, we come before you believing and hoping and expecting that you're going to do something awesome today, God. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor, all the praise, because you alone are worthy of it. We are expecting you to do something great today. We are expecting you to do something awesome, and we'll give you praise for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. We are so excited for what God is going to do today. And I hope you're ready for worship because it's time to worship. Hi, and welcome to New Dimensions Online Worship Experience. My name is Angie, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. If you're a first-time guest, please type in the comments since your first-time guest saw our online worship team can reach out to you and show you some love. And please remember that we have a midweek Bible study that starts on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and we would love for you to join us. And finally, if you're ready to take that next spiritual step, just type home in the comments. You're seen, you're valued, you're loved. My name is Angie and thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the service. Well everyone, it has come time for us to give. 
We here at New Dimensions believe that God loves a cheerful giver. Whenever we give, it demonstrates that God's love overflowed to us and it has reached us. The gospel shows God's love for us through what he gave. In the same way, we believe that we give generously to reflect all that God has done for us. At any time during the service, you can worship God in your giving by going online to ndccpensacola.org and clicking offerings. This is a simple and easy way for you to worship God in your givings. You can also give by mailing it into the PO box number at the bottom of your screen. 6400 Pensacola, Florida 32503. Before we move on to the next part of our service, I'd like to take some time and pray with you as we give cheerfully and generously to our Lord. Father, I thank you for everything you have created in you, through you, and for you. Lord, we bring our offerings and tithes to you, as the Bible says, to your storehouse, so that the windows of heaven may be opened up and that you may pour out blessing after blessing. Lord, accept the offerings and the gifts that we have brought before you. I pray that as we give, that your love surrounds us, that your peace reigns in our life, that your spirit empowers us, and that your joy upholds us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Again, thank you all so much for joining in to New Dimensions online service. I'm your host, Naishia, and we hope that you are ready to receive this word from God. Well, welcome, everybody. I hope that you are ready for a word. I know you are looking around. You're thinking, what in the world is going on? Well, listen, we wanted to switch it up a little bit this week. We want to provide you a different look. And, you know, regardless of the different things that we're doing right now, the different avenues that we're delivering the word, we believe that the message of Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is timeless. It transcends all our forms. So I just want to shout out our team for being flexible. I'm really proud of the work that we put in this week. And we're just going to do something a little bit different. I hope you guys are, are cool with that. You're sitting on your couch, so can I sit down in this chair? I hope you're okay with that. Now, I have to be honest with you. I need some prayer. And the reason I need some prayer is, as you guys know, I am the type that gets up and runs around. I'm the type that that uses physicality when I preach. And so I need your help. I need God's help to stay in my seat, <laughs> to stay reserved. So we're going to try something different. So will you do me a favor? Will you stretch your hand toward the television, stretch your hand toward the smartphone and pray for me as I pray for us as we begin to open up the word. Father God, we thank you that there is no distance in you. There's no distance in your spirit that no matter what forms we take, that your word is true. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts us, but it also heals us. It does surgery on our hearts. So now, God, even as we talk about these topics, even as we get into more of this Back to the Future series, I pray that you would move mightily, supernaturally, that you'd come into homes, that you would touch lives, that you would transform hearts in every single area of our lives. God, we thank you for what you are going to do. We have expectation and we believe that better is coming. The best is yet to come. And God, now as we open up our hearts, will you speak to us, speak to me and speak through me, God, so that people's lives may be touched and changed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen and amen. Well, I think everyone likes a dramatic story, right? Everyone likes a dramatic story. And I was reading this story that I felt led to share with you guys. This story was about a record label executive. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous record label executives in all of the country. And this record label executive was the president of a company just like his father before him. 
and their fame, their family's name was known throughout the entirety of the country. Many people looked around and said that these are successful record label owners. Now, as time had elapsed, this particular executive, he had spent many years accomplishing things and winning awards and gaining and accruing wealth and money. And so he was known as a success. But as time elapsed, he had to start thinking about his succession plan. Now, luckily for him, he had a couple of children that worked in the record label with him. One in particular was a producer just like him. So they kind of got along. You know, his oldest son, he connected with him because he would be in the studio for long hours and he would create the hits that would provide the, the, the revenue and the, and the esteem for the record label. So he thought that this son was going to be the one who would take over eventually. Now, there were a couple other children who worked in his record label as well. And his youngest son wasn't really a producer, wasn't really seen by many people as the type who would make hits. He was skillful in administration and negotiation. He was skillful in the business side of things. Now, if the father preferred the oldest son, then the mother, who's also a part of the record label, she preferred the youngest son. And one day the older son comes in and he says to his father, hey, I really need you to green light this project. I have this really exciting project with this artist that I'm really excited about and happy to release to the world. It's going to make our record label go to the next level. And he says, well, you know, you have to go and talk to your younger brother because he's the one who runs the business side of things. So he walks into his younger brother's office and says, hey, I need you as the business side of this company to green light this project. The younger brother looks around, looks at the figures and says, hey, bro, I wish I could. But the reality is we don't have any money for it. The older brother looks at him and says, come on, of course you have money. You can reallocate some funds here. Younger brother says, if I reallocate these funds, it's going to take away from something I have prepared. Older brother says, come on, man, what's it going to take? Younger brother looks at him and says, okay, I'll green light your project. But in exchange for something, only thing I want is your next vote at the board meeting. What? Like my next vote at the board meeting? Yeah, sign it over to me. So I can use that to do some things that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Because the older brother is so desperate to get his project greenlit, he signs over his vote at the next board meeting to his younger brother. Well, little does he know, he actually signs away his future. Because at the next board meeting, with the help of his mother, who also has a vote at the board meeting, this younger son facilitates a hostile takeover. He takes over the entire record label, the entire company, and pushes his father and his older brother into the minority position in the company. He sets up his own succession plan so that he'll be next in line to take over after his father passes. Now, the older son is furious. He vows revenge. As a matter of fact, he puts a hit out on his younger brother's life. He says, I'm going to come find you and kill you. And at the end of the story, what we see is that the younger brother is sitting up in his penthouse, covered by security, waiting for his older brother to find him. Now, I know you're probably listening to this story. You're like, man, this is a riveting story. This is drama. This is some true family drama, right? And I know when I was reading this story, when I was thinking about it, you know, the question that I asked is, how can anything good come from such a messed up family? How can anything good come from such a messed up family? Now, I know you may be wondering, is this a TV show? Is this empire? Is this succession? Well, not quite. This is the story that's a little bit older than you think. This story is basically a retelling of the story of Jacob and Esau. That's right, Jacob and Esau, an older brother and a younger brother. 
you know, for the past few weeks, we've been opening up this series called Back to the Future, right? And, and we've wanted to un uncover and, and recover an ancient past and bring it into a new moment. So I want you to type in the comments, Back to the Future, Back to the Future. And what we've said is that it's maybe not that God is wanting to bring us something new or have us do something new, but perhaps he wants us to reclaim something that is ancient and bring it into a new moment. We're borrowing from this African principle of Sankofa, which means go back and get it. And to do that, we're taking a look at some of the go back statements in the scriptures. Last week, we said go back home from, from Luke chapter 15, where the prodigal son um, looked at his situation and said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And today I want to deal with Genesis chapter 31, another go back. And that go back is go back to your family. Go back to your family. Now, earlier I shared the story of Jacob and Esau, but I put a little spin on it. I had to modernize it so that you catch the depth of it, so that you catch the, the audacity of it. As some of you know, in Genesis chapter um, 25, what we see is the start of the Jacob and Esau story. And throughout that story, it's a tale of deception and hatred and family betrayal. And, and it really prompts this same question, as I talked about with the fictitious retelling, the parable of Jacob and Esau from a record label, cultural perspective. How can anything good come from such a messed up family? How can anything good come from such a messed up family? Genesis chapter 31, verse 3, Jacob is receiving some extended family drama, some drama from his father-in-law Laban. And he goes to God and God speaks to him in Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Look at this. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. He said, you have to go back to your family. You have to go back to your homeland. Now, here's the rude awakening that God is essentially saying to Jacob. He's saying, you may have run from your family, but you can't run forever. That might be a message for you. You may have run from your family of origin. You may have run from the circumstances that were in your upbringing, but you can't run forever. You know, when we think about family, we often shift our minds to think about something called family drama, right? That's something that's really popular for us to think about. You know, we think about it when it comes to family reunions or holidays or our cousins or our aunts or our uncles. Who's going to bring, you know, a certain person to Thanksgiving dinner? You know, what's the latest gossip? What are certain things that are happening in our family? What are the he hidden secret stories that people aren't going to tell us, but we're going to find out many years later? But I want to challenge us. I don't think that the most important thing is family drama. I think the most important thing for us to think about is not family drama, but family trauma. Not family drama, but family trauma. I want you to type in the comments, trauma. Type in the comments, trauma. You know, when I was growing up, what we heard is this, this theory, this theological phrase and terminology. It's called generational curses. You've probably heard of it, right? Generational curses is this idea that, that iniquity can be passed down. Exodus talks about this passed down, visited on from multiple generations in a family's existence. And then when I got a little bit older, I was introduced to this psychological term. It's called the genogram. The genogram is a pictorial display of a person's family relationships and some of the things that may have happened with their aunts, their uncles, three, four generations back. And this genogram is designed to show us a pattern of behavior, maybe some things that we need to adjust and to use in psychology or sociology. Now, whether you prefer the theological phrase of generational curses or the psychological terminology of a genogram, all of us know that our families of origin 
impact and affect us. The family where we were formed and grew up in, the family that we call our immediate family, it has impacted and shaped who we are today. And I believe that God wants to do some surgery today. God wants to heal us. God wants to transform us from the inside out. God wants to put us back together again. God wants us to go back to our family for the purpose of healing. L listen to me. The kingdom of God needs generational healing. The kingdom of God needs generational healing, reconciliation, catharsis, and I believe we're going to start it today. Now, for many of us, you're going to probably think, man, who are you to tell us about some family stuff? I understand, okay? I want to give you some disclaimers, all right? I want to give you some disclaimers. I am not a relational and family expert, okay? Surprise, surprise. I don't have my doctorate in psychology. I'm not the type of person who's going to palm myself off as an expert on this, but I do want to give you some spiritual principles here. But if you're looking for some expert stuff, I want to give you a couple of books from the outset. Remember, this is a little bit different. But I want to give you a couple of books from the outset that you can take and do some deeper dives and study on the issue of trauma. The first book is called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. The Body Keeps the Score. It's a phenomenal book. Great, very accessible for you to read and extremely challenging on the issue of trauma. And the second one is called Suffering and the Heart of God by Dr. Diane Langberg. Suffering and the Heart of God by Dr. Diane Langberg. These are great guiding principles on trauma. Connects the family in some ways, but on the general principle of trauma and how it intersects with our lives. Now, the second disclaimer I wanna, I wanna tell you here is, as soon as we talk about going back to our family, a lot of people feel a little nervous, especially parents, grandparents, those who are matriarchs and patriarchs, you look around and you say, am I about to get beat up? No, this is not about pointing fingers, blame, or guilt. This is just about us doing some internal surgery. Realize trauma doesn't necessarily have to be something that we do. Trauma can be something that happens to us. Trauma can be outside circumstances that we had no control over. We'll get into that in a second. And number three, this is not an extensive list of practical principles. I just want to give you some spiritual inspiration. Some spiritual inspiration to do one thing. Are you ready? This is the only thing I want you to do. I want you to face your family. I want you to face your family. You know, the legendary writer James Baldwin, he says, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed unless it's faced. Wow. So we have to face our family. I believe that God is calling for us to push for generational healing, reconciliation, catharsis by facing our families. And so this is a face your family principle. I'm going to give you some throughout the, the entirety of this sermon. Here's the first one. Face your family principle. You cannot overcome what you refuse to face. You cannot overcome what you refuse to face. I believe God is going to give you some supernatural energy, some strength, some courage to face your family. Okay, from the story of Jacob, I think we have a few things that we can determine and dictate here. A few things that we need to face. Okay, you ready? Four things, as a matter of fact. The first one is this. You need to face your family dysfunction. Face your family dysfunction. Now, Genesis chapter 32, verses 9 through 11, what we see here is in this context, in Genesis 31 and our text, Jacob is getting ready to leave Laban's household, his father-in-law. He's getting ready to go back to his family land, and he's getting ready to confront his brother Esau. Now, remember, he had stolen the birthright from Esau. He had stolen it from him. He had tricked him and deceived him. And Jacob is afraid, rightfully so. And Jacob prays an interesting prayer in Genesis chapter 32, 
verses 9 through 11. We'll just take a look at verse 9 for right now. Genesis chapter 32, verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. Look at this. God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. Uh, let me say this, and, and this is probably going to help you and give you a little bit of relaxation, help you to drop your shoulders a little bit, breathe, you know. Every family unit is affected by dysfunction. Every family unit is affected by dysfunction. Doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter your upbringing, doesn't matter all your expertise, your skills, your knowledge. Every single family is affected by dysfunction. No family is exempt from it. And so that means that your family has been affected by dysfunction. My family has been affected by dysfunction. Our neighbors' families, everyone around us, we have all been affected by the brokenness of sin. Dysfunction means that something is off. Something isn't as it should be. That's the basic definition of what sin is, right? Sin is doing things that are not as they should be, not in the way God intended for the world to be set up. And all of our families have been visited by brokenness and dysfunction. And you know what's so interesting about this is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three top guys in the history of the nation of Israel, they had a dysfunctional family. Do you realize that Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham actually lies to Pharaoh. At this time, he was Abraham. He actually lies to Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah. He lies to him because Pharaoh looks at Sarah and says, she looks really good. I would like to have her for myself. Abram says, oh yeah, sure, you can do that. That's my sister. What? Can you imagine he told a lie to Pharaoh, then does it again, and then get this, his son Isaac, the promised child, he ends up replicating the same mistake that his father did. So there was dysfunction already existing in the family before Jacob even got there. And here's the interesting thing. When Jacob is born, they name him Jacob. And the literal meaning of Jacob's name is trickster or deceiver. So get this. They already had dysfunction that was present in their family line, in their family structure. They were already liars from one generation to the next. And then what did they do? They named their son, they named their grandson out of the dysfunction that they were going through. They named their son after the dysfunction that was already present in their lives. See, Jacob was born into a patriarchy of liars and deceivers. He was born into people who were struggling with telling the truth, that were saying false things. And then, of course, Jacob replicates that, that dysfunction because it was named and spoken over him. See, perhaps you have your own version of dysfunction that you've been stereotyped into believing. This is the essence of dysfunction. Perhaps someone told you you were going to be a statistic. Perhaps someone told you you're not going to measure up. Perhaps someone told you you're going to do the same thing your father did. Perhaps they say you look just like your father. Perhaps they say you look just like your mother. Whatever it may be, we are pushed sometimes outside of our control to replicate the dysfunction that is already present within our families. But here's the good news. This is a face your family principle. You ready? The dysfunction you were born into does not have to define you. The dysfunction you were born into does not have to define you. Do you realize that you have agency to change the atmosphere and the environment that exists within your family? That just because your mother and your father did something doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because your kids are known for something 
doesn't mean that's going to be your identity. Just because your brother and your sister fell into something doesn't mean that you're going to have to fall into that as well. You don't have to replicate the dysfunction that is even spoken over you. And this is some really interesting stuff because for many of us, we are silently imbibing the words of people around us who speak dysfunction over us, who look at us and don't see our potential, but only see our problems, who don't see our pain, but only see our lack of whatever it may be. And God is saying, no, actually, just because you were born into dysfunction does not mean that has to define you. You know, speaking of family stuff, uh, one of the things that my wife and I have been talking about pre-corona, of course, is going on a cruise. We love the idea of going on a cruise. Now, I know for some of y'all, y'all like, listen, you haven't been on a cruise yet? Look, I understand. 31 years old, have not been on a cruise yet. I know some of y'all go every single year. I'm jealous. I see y'all pictures. But now, not so much because of corona, right? But here's the thing about cruises. Here's the thing about cruise ships. I don't do water. I don't do that. I don't like water, okay? I know y'all excited about the beach, open back up. I don't do water. I like to walk along the sand. But if you talk about taking a ship into the ocean, I got some questions, man. See, I've seen too many news reports. Too many news reports of tipped ships. Too many news reports of ships that are down to crash. Too many news reports of people who are stuck out on the open sea for multiple weeks, more than what they thought. And they run out of supplies. Then there's smelling from the sewage system. I, I really don't want to deal with all that. And so I did some research. I had to say, okay, if I'm going to take my wife on a cruise, I need to know that this cruise ship is set up right. I need to know that this cruise ship can handle the weight of the seas, right? I mean, think about it. You're literally in the middle of the ocean. So I was looking up some things. It wasn't really helping me because as soon as you look up the safety of cruise ships, you get all the news reports about the unsafe cruise ships, right? All the problems that have happened. So it wasn't really helping me out that much. But then I, I stumbled upon something. I stumbled upon something called the ballast tank. You know, it's in the design of the cruise ship. In the design of the cruise ship, they have something called a ballast tank. And I was always wondering, how do cruise ships keep the water from getting inside of them? You know, I always looked around. I was like, man, this is really interesting. And so I started reading up about the ballast tank. And it's a tank at the bottom of the ship that intakes the water. But as it intakes water, it sits in there for a little bit and then it's pushed out. It intakes it for stability. So that's not fighting against what's around it, but it intakes it for a little bit and pushes it out, intakes it, pushes it out. And this symbiotic relationship between the ballast tank and the ocean keeps the cruise ship afloat, keeps it from tipping over and keeps it from sinking. Now, this reminded me of something. It reminded me of a quote from a guy named Eugene Peterson, a theologian. And Eugene Peterson says, all the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it allows what's on the outside to get on the inside. Wow. All the dysfunction that's around you can't sink you, can't wow. determine you, wow. can't define you, unless you allow what's on the outside to get in on the inside. Wow. Just because you had dysfunction that was present in your family, the dysfunction that was present in your family does not have to live inside you. Yes. And I wanna give you some freedom here. God says, I want you to take in, you're going to take in some of the stuff, some of the patterns, some of the habits, but you have to push that out. You can't let it live on the inside of you. So first you have to face your family dysfunction. All the water in the ocean can't sink a ship unless it allows what's on the outside to remain on the inside. Wow. Number two here, you have to understand this. I hope this is encouraging you. Number two, you have to face your family failures. Okay, first you have to face your family dysfunction. 
Number two, you have to face your family failures, okay? Stay in Genesis chapter 32. I hope you're enjoying this. Genesis chapter 32, it says that right before, verse six, it's right before Jacob was getting ready to meet Esau. They sent out messengers. He sent out a scout team because he knows that Esau is vengeful. He knows that Esau already knows that he has deceived him. He knows that Esau put a hit out on his life, said, hey, man, I'm going to come kill you. Notice what it says. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau. Now he is coming to meet you. Get this. And 400 men are with him. He got a whole squad. This is different, right? This is not just a couple of people. I'm not just coming by myself. He's got a whole squad with him. Then verse 7 says this. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him. So Jacob was really pressed. Jacob was really upset. Here's the reason why. Jacob was afraid, not because of the family dysfunction that was around him. Get this. Jacob was afraid because of his own family failures. Jacob was afraid not just because of what had happened to him, but because of what he had done to others. Here's the thing you have to understand. Real easy to blame other people for everything that you go through. Real easy to blame your family. Real easy to blame your parents. Real easy to blame your brothers and sisters. Real easy to blame your kids. Real easy to blame the patterns that were outside of you. But it's really difficult to take responsibility for what you have done. Wow. Here's a face your family principle. Are you ready? Your family failures will find you. Wow. Your family failures will find you. Remember, Jacob had defrauded Esau out of his birthright. And when he defrauds Esau out of his birthright, Esau says, I'm coming to find you. Jacob decides to run with some help from his mother, tricks Isaac into letting him run away to find a wife. He meets up with a guy named Laban, who eventually becomes his father-in-law. But Laban tricks Jacob in the same way Jacob had tricked his family. So even though he left his physical location, this is a word for some young people especially, even if you leave your physical place of birth, your family failures will find you. Even if you go to a new city, even if you get out of the locale, even if you step into a completely different country, the truth is what you don't face will find you. You have to face your family failures. And what Jacob realizes, even though I left my family location, what, what I did, the failures that I had as a result of my family, as a result of what I did to them, they followed me. Laban did the same thing to me. And now I'm going to have to face Esau. Your failures will eventually chase you down. Genesis 32 verse 11, here's what he says. He says, God, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me. Perhaps when I send your family failures, you're thinking about something in particular. Perhaps you lied to a family member. Perhaps you've done something even more serious. You lost your temper. Perhaps you've done something even more serious. Perhaps you robbed or stolen. Perhaps you facilitated abuse. Perhaps you've done other things. You looked the other way when someone was getting harmed. I have some good news for you today. I don't want this to make you feel shame or guilt or condemnation because here's the truth of God. God wants to provide redemption for the traumatized and the traumatizer. God wants to provide redemption for the traumatized and the traumatizer. God wants to provide redemption and reconciliation and restoration for the oppressed and the oppressor. That's how good our God is. But here's the principle. This is the face your family principle. Another one here. You cannot ask people to do what you are unwilling to do yourself. Wow. 
You cannot ask anyone to face their dysfunction if you're not willing to face your own family failures. Listen, this is for the millennials, the Gen Z. I know we love to talk about our dysfunction. Now we got a little bit of psychology, got a little bit of knowledge. We like to look around and say, that's not emotionally healthy. What our parents did wasn't right. What our parents said, they didn't do the right things. Listen, I'm going to tell you, when it comes to your kids, you're going to get your opportunity to do everything that you thought your parents should have done. But here's what I'm going to tell you. You can't ask your parents to face themselves if you're not willing to face yourself. We can't do it. We can't be hypocrites. God desires to provide redemption for those of us who've been traumatized and for those of us who have been traumatizers. There's no perfect family and there's also no blameless family member. Wow. There's no perfect family structure and there's also no blameless family member. We all have something we have to face that was a failure in our family. Okay, I hope this is encouraging. This is really blessing me. Okay, number three here. Face your family dysfunction. Face your family failures. Number three, very interesting. Face your family expectations. Face your family expectations. Now, now look at Genesis chapter 33. Go a chapter over here. Jacob's in this scenario, and he looks in Genesis chapter 31, uh, verse 1. He looks and says, there's Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. It's very interesting. Jacob sets up buffer systems just to see how Esau is going to respond. <laughs> you have to understand this from the text. Jacob sends out a couple of his female servants, which are also like concubines, sends them out to the front. So if Esau gets mad, something pops off, he's going to kill them first. He's not going to kill him. He's not going to kill Leah and Rachel, right? He sets them up. So he says, ah, let's, uh, let, let's send you out here. He's expecting Esau to be angry and vengeful and violent. Number two, he says this, verse two. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. You see, he's putting up a buffer system here. He's like, y'all going to be on the front line. If anything pops off, I'm sorry. I'll catch y'all in the next. Me and, me and uh, Rachel, we're going to have an opportunity to get away. But get this. In verse 3, he says, then he himself, then he realizes, he goes out ahead, and then he bows himself down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. Now, I, I imagine that he was probably upset. He was probably getting ready to brace himself for Esau being angry and hateful and vengeful. And so he bows, he bows, he bows. He's expecting his brother to respond a certain way, but Esau doesn't respond how he expects. Look at this, verse four. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. He did what Jacob was not expecting for him to do. You know, family expectations can get us into a lot of trouble. Family expectations can cause us to expect things from family members that are unfair. Wow. Not every expectation is a good one. Not every expectation is a fair one. You know, when I was growing up, we talked about Back to the Future, so I want to tell you about this story um, that I love listening to, love watching. It's a movie called Coming to America. Y'all know the movie Coming to America? Of course, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, phenomenal film, right? You know, the thing about coming to America isn't that it's just funny, but it also has some deep things to say about family expectations. You take, for example, Hakeem. He leaves Zamunda, this mythical African kingdom. And when his parents expected him, when his parents expected him to marry a, a local girl, he says, I don't really love her. I don't like this idea of arranged marriage. So he goes and flaunts the expectations and goes to America to find his true love. But much in the same way, Lisa... Also, his eventual love, his eventual wife, she also has to basically flaunt the expectations of her father. 
And her father wants her to marry someone who's more like him. Marry someone like Daryl. Marry someone with the Jericho juice on the back of the couch. You know, her father wants her to marry someone like him. And she looks around and says, no, I have to marry someone that I truly love. And it's about the flaunting and ultimately the reconciling of expectations. What expectations have people placed on you in the area of family that are unfair, that are crushing you, that are weighing you down? What expectations have you faced that have you pushed on other people that are actually weighing them down, bearing them down? Think about this. Jacob had expectations that Esau was going to respond vengefully, even though Jacob had spent his entire life flouting expectations. The same thing he wanted, the understanding that he wanted for himself, he didn't offer that to Esau. Rather, he said, I know he's going to respond violently and angrily. And how much is that a metaphor for how our expectations play into our, our family relationships? Can I give you one more face your family principle in this point? Earthly expectations should have an expiration date. Wow. Earthly expectations should have an expiration date. At some point, you got to stop doing what people expect you to do and start doing what God has called you to do. At a certain point, you got to stop being the parent that they expect you to be and start being the one God has equipped you to be. At a certain point, you got to stop being the son or daughter that they want you to be and start being the son or the daughter that God has called you to be. And I deal with young people and college students all the time, and they feel burdened by the expectations of their family. You need to do this. You need to be this. You need to make this type of money. You need to have this. You need to be in this place in your life. And God has not called us to fulfill earthly expectations. We don't dismiss them. God doesn't dismiss earthly expectations, but he transcends them. All earthly expectations must be submitted to the ultimate calling and purpose of God. Just because people have given me expectations doesn't mean you have to follow them. And I feel this and I feel like I'm getting ready to jump up and down on this couch. But here's the thing. I'm not going to do it. But here's the thing. I really want you guys to understand that these expectations will sink you. They will drive you into anxiety and depression and sorrow, and they'll make you miserable. God wants you to be free. You're not supposed to be bound by anything. You're not supposed to be tied to anything that's going to weigh you down and distract you from his purpose. I hope you understand that all earthly expectations must have an expiration date. This is for parents, children, everyone in family relationships. While time is short, I just want to give you one more thing here. One more thing. You face your family dysfunction. You face your family failures. Face your family expectations. Finally, face your family's future. Wow. Face your family's future. You know, at a certain point, we got to stop looking back and start looking ahead. Yes. At a certain point, you got to take the things that you found and excavated in your past. You got to push them to the forefront. Yes. You got to push them to the side and say, I'm going to go where God has called me to go. Look at Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. I love this. Genesis 31, verse 3. It's our text. The Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. Now, remember, Jacob had been distressed in fear. He had calculated different ways to make sure that Esau didn't kill him. He had bowed his head down. He had some peace offerings for him. Jacob was afraid, but he forgot the end of Genesis 31 verse 3. Look at Genesis 31 verse 3. Is that where it ends? Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives? No, I will be with you. God was with him. You realize that I skipped over a large portion of the text, right? I skipped over a large portion of the text. And, and it's something that you probably were expecting me to talk about. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, right? Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob wrestles with him. 
And then eventually he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And everybody quotes that, oh, that's powerful, that's faith. So we say, God, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. What's the context? So the context is he's getting ready to go face his family. Jacob is having to wrestle God for the courage and the strength to face his family unit. See, it's not just that he just wants to be blessed. He's like, man, you better save me from this. And what does God do? God says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name. No longer will you be Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver. Now you're going to be Israel. Now you're going to be a, a different name. And this is why he says this. He says, it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. That's why the angel of the Lord says in verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. See, you have to wrestle with God for the strength to conquer your family problems. You have to wrestle with God for the courage and the energy to face dysfunction and failures and expectations and to push forward into your future. But I want to give you some good news. On the other end of the wrestling is a blessing. On the other end of the wrestling is a blessing. God calls you to push and fight and work and wrestle, and it's not going to be easy. But he calls you to this for this one reason. Are you ready? Face your family principle. God will change your family by changing your identity. Did you hear what I just said? God's going to change your family by changing your identity. We've been praying the wrong prayers, church. We've been praying, God, fix my husband or my wife. God, fix my brother and my sister. God, fix my mother and my father. Fix my grandmother. Fix my cousins. Fix my aunt and my uncles. Fix my messed up family. But here's what God is going to do. God is saying, no, I'm not going to touch anybody else before I fix you. And perhaps you are the person that needs to change in your family. Perhaps you are the person that needs to transform your family. And God can't touch your family if he's not able to touch you. God is going to change you first. God is going to up, uphold you first. He's going to shift and change your identity and in turn give you the power to exercise and facilitate change in your family. And get this, I know some of you, you're looking and you're saying, listen, my family situation is beyond repair. My family situation, there's no possible way it can be reconciled or recompensed. No possible way it can happen. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. Even though your family can't change, you can change in the midst of your family. Even if your family never changes, even if they never say, I'm sorry, even if they never ask for your forgiveness, even if you don't have the opportunity to even ask them because they passed on or maybe they're not talking to you or they blocked you on social media, God can change you in the midst of it. See, here's the thing. This is why we have to face our family's future is because our past can't be changed, but our future can. Yes. Your future generations are tied to your personal transformation. Your future generations are tied to your personal transformation. He says, Jacob, I'm going to change your name from trickster and deceiver. No longer would that be in your family line. I'm going to stop that. I'm actually going to call you Israel now. I'm going to change your identity so that your future generations can have a different outcome. Wow. That's what God wants to do for you. Wow. He calls you to face your family's future and to realize that he's going to change you first. He's going to change your identity. You have to face your dysfunction, face your family failures, face your family expectations, and finally face your family's future. Wow. Who am I talking to today? Who's the person that has said, man, I was going to click out of this, but I just stayed because you're sitting on a, on a chair and it's a little bit different. And I feel like you've touched on so many things, so many traumas, so many issues in my heart. 
I know this is uncomfortable for a lot of people. A lot of people don't really feel like this is something we should get into in a church setting. But the truth of the matter is, if we do not address and confront family trauma, we're going to be replicating it for generations. Those who don't deal with it, our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, they're going to be dealing with it. And I want to experience freedom in my family. I hope you want to experience freedom in your family. Now, I haven't given you all the blueprint, every single thing to do, but I want to pray a prayer. I want to pray a prayer of motivation and direction for you. I want to pray a prayer that hopefully can give you some encouragement. I want to pray for specific groups of people. I want to pray for mothers. I want to pray for fathers. I want to pray for children. I want to pray for mothers, fathers, and children. I want to pray for you in these specific situations. And I want to pray that the Lord can transform your relationships with your family. And even if he doesn't transform every single relationship, that he give you the courage and the strength to face your family, all of your family, in every area. I want you to stretch your, your hands. Actually, you can just lift your hands up right now. I want you to lift your hands up. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you wherever you are. Let me start with mothers, because I believe that right now in the midst of this pandemic, there are so many mothers that feel burdened. They feel like they have to wear a thousand different hats. They feel like they have to do so many things. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on every mother who is listening to this broadcast, every mother who is watching this recording. I pray that they would be touched. I pray that they would realize that for most of them, for so many of them, you're doing the best that you possibly can. You've worked yourself to the bone. God is actually pleased with you. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. It doesn't matter if you have a perfect household. God hasn't called you to perfection. He's called you to faithfulness. You are loving your children well. God's going to bless everything that you touch. He's going to bless the work of your hands. He's going to honor your faithfulness. He is pleased with you. Your family is blessed because of you. You are doing so much. And God says, I want you to rest in my reality. Father, would you give them rest? Would you release the burdens, God? Would you release those who are overwhelmed? Would you give them times of sweet refreshing and rest and reconciliation and restoration, God? And God, right now, I want to pray for fathers. I want to pray for those who are set up as set men in their households, who are, who are angels of their homes, God. I want to pray for those who are overwhelmed, maybe feeling inadequate because work isn't maybe facilitated in the same way. Maybe they're trying to figure out how they're going to pay some bills. Maybe they're trying to figure out how they can reconcile some relationships. I sense the heaviness of fathers. I sense those who are trying to do things in the right way. I sense those who don't know how to say, I'm drowning, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm trying to do things that are best for my family. It seems like I take one step forward and two steps back. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will give you strength to rise up as a king. God, give you strength to rise up as a leader. God, give you strength to rise up and confront everything that would try to stand in the way of your family. I pray that you would not get weary in well-doing. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. But step forward. Step up. Put your head up. God is the lifter of your head. Don't allow yourself to feel down. But God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would go and be the lifter of every father's head in this house, every husband's head in this church. God, I pray that we would walk in the freedom and the power and the calling and the anointing that you have called us to. And God, I pray we would just hear that you're proud of us, that you love us, that you believe that whatever we're facing right now, it's not our end goal. It's not our end game. But God, you have so much better for us in the future. God, I pray for every single father. God, I lift up our children right now. I lift up those who are burdened. I lift up those who may not have a family unit. <laughs> I want to include our single folk as well. 
I want to include those who don't have a husband or a wife or kids who are living by themselves. I pray for every child. I pray for every human being who maybe is disconnected from their family structure. I pray that you would bring not just catharsis, not just this sense of we go along to get along. I pray you bring supernatural reconciliation to the houses. God, that you would bring supernatural healing to the houses between young and old, between father and son, between mother and daughter, that you would connect, that you'd bind us together, that Satan would not win. Generational alignment is a part of the kingdom of God. God, I pray against the enemy's schemes to divide our families. I pray for those who are overcome with loneliness and depression and anxiety. I pray that you, God, wrap your arms around them, help them to realize that even if you don't have a family on earth, you have a spiritual family. You have a new family you've been adopted to by Jesus Christ. And Jesus now invites you to come in and he says, son, daughter, you can take your rest in me. Now I will hold you. I will protect you. I'll do what your earthly family could not do. God, would you help us? Give us the strength. Give us the ability. Give us the courage to face our families. And God, help us to live into the reality of a new one, that we would have a future that says no matter what we've gone through in the past, in the future, it can be new. And it starts with us. It starts with me. God, we thank you for these things. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to type in the comments before you go, before I let you go. I want you to type in the comments, it starts with me. Family transformation, it starts with you. I love you so much. I love you so much. I pray that you have the courage to face your family. It starts Well, greetings, everybody. This is Pastor Tyler. And again, thank you so much for being a virtual guest at our NDCC online worship experience. It has been our joy to host you. If you made a decision or if you want to make a decision or maybe you just need some prayer, no matter how big or small it may be, we would love to lift up prayers to a God who hears and answers every petition that we give to him. You can type in home at the comment section of wherever you're watching this service, or you can text it to the number at the bottom of the screen. We have a group of people who are ready and willing to lift up prayers to that real God on your behalf. If you didn't have the opportunity to give, we want to offer that to you right now. You can give in easy, simple ways. The first way is by going to our website, ndccpensacola.org, and clicking offerings. Simple, easy, online way to give. Or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Again, it has been our honor and our joy to have you as a virtual guest at the NDCC Online Worship Experience. I hope you come back next week. We're going to do another sermon in the Back to the Future series, and I'm so excited about what God is saying to our church in this season. You matter. You are seen. You are valued. You are loved. We love you. Most importantly, God loves you. We'll see you next week.